Welcome to the Rainbow Bull with Tim Volk from T. Volk and Company Consulting. In this podcast, Tim, a proud member of the LGBTQ community, discusses a range of topics around the five capitals of a flourishing family, human, intellectual, social, spiritual, and financial capital. Tim will use this framework as he and his guest experts delve into the secrets of the wealthy and how we might learn from them. So let's get started on this exciting adventure together. How to create a world of acceptance within families and the workplace. That is a focus of this discussion between your host, Tim Volk and Rebecca Sanborn. Uh, Tim, this is not a lighthearted topic. So how do you know Rebecca and how does this topic tie you together? Great question, Patrice. I love when you open with this. Our good mutual friend, Greg Klein Herzl, who I would say is like a serial dating person for businesses. Like he just connects people related for technology normally. So he helps businesses and people that are looking for certain technologies find it. And he said to me one day, I just listened to your podcast. I think you need to call and talk to Rebecca. I think you should really get to know her. And so I took the advice and called and set up a set up a Zoom and we just clicked. I had no idea what she did. And so I as the more we talk, the more I'm like, would you mind? Would you like to be a guest on our show? And I found it to be a, a wonderful opportunity for us to discuss something that's very topical, uh, but also get to know Rebecca, because I think she gives us some great insights on a lot of different things. So. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you, Tim. I am very excited to be here. We, uh, uh, your your background is very interesting. I think that you you have uh, a juris doctorate from the University of New Hampshire and the Franklin Pierce School of Law, <laughs> and you have quite a few postgraduate certificates, including diversity inclusion professional certificate, a certificate in advanced employee relations. And they're both from Cornell University, a pretty good mm-hmm. place. You're involved in nonprofits. You live in New Hampshire. I do. Which I don't know a lot of people that live in New Hampshire. So uh, that's good. I think for our listeners today, you know, on my podcast, we kind of frame things with the, the the five capitals of a family, which Jay Hughes is presented. And we, 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 you know, use that as a great reference for stuff. And I think... What we're about to talk about today kind of falls under both the human and the intellectual capitals for families. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? I think it falls that and it affects yeah. all the other capitals as well. But I think that's kind of where we're at. And I'd, I'd love for you to kind of give me. Tell us a little about your story. Yeah. So my story is, as Patrice said, it's not a lighthearted topic and it's not a lighthearted story. Um, I am in, spoiler alert, I'm in a very happy place right now. I'm in a good place. Um, But my history is very difficult. I have a background of severe abuse and trauma from my father my dad abused me uh, physically, emotionally, and sexually. Um, he also um, horribly abused my mother, often in front of me. And part of my dad's abuse 
was he was what I would call pathologically controlling to the extent that I actually kind of relate to those stories you hear about the girls that were kidnapped and kept in the basements. Um, my story was not that extreme, but I relate to that aspect of being controlled. Um, he controlled everything from what I wore, what I ate, what time I got up in the morning. Um, I wasn't allowed to drive a car. I couldn't leave the house to go down the driveway to get the mail without permission. And he would watch me out the window as I would go get the mail. I wasn't allowed to date. It was um, really quite something. And it continued into my adulthood. So he had me go to a college and a university where I could live at home. He drove me everywhere. And I got to a point, people often ask me, how was he able to keep controlling you? You were an adult, you were an attorney. And he did it through threats, through violence. And there finally came a time when I was about 27, when I said, Dad, I can't live like this anymore. I just can't do it. I just can't. I'm going to have to move out. And he said, if you move out, I'll kill myself. And I didn't take it seriously. I said, oh, yeah, you'll kill yourself, right? He went, he got a gun, he held it to his head, and he said, I'll do it. And the look in his eyes, I believed, in that moment, I believed him. And of course, I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I take it all back, I take it all back. I'll be a good girl, I'll be a good daughter. And that was when I stopped trying to escape. Because I was afraid he would literally kill himself. So that's did background. uh, And tell me how long this continued. So it continued until he died when I was 37. So 10 years, I'm 47 now. So 10 years ago. You're 37 years old. I was 37 years old. How to drive. No. Didn't know how to cook? Didn't know how to cook. That was the other thing. He wouldn't allow my mom to teach me life skills like cooking and cleaning and ironing. Because if I had those skills, I was more apt to be able to make it on my own. So at 37, I I had to learn how to drive a car, how to cook a meal, how to wash my clothes. It, it it was oh bizarre. God. I was a lawyer, and yet I didn't know how to do these basic activities of daily living, so to say. So you're an estate planning attorney working in estate planning and family law. Yes, exactly. While you're being abused? Right. And often I would... I, I say often, what occasionally I would work with um, victims of domestic violence who were in DV situations. I got really good at compartmentalizing, Tim. Good. That's amazing. That that was how I did it was I compartmentalized. And that was kind of how I was able to keep on going. 
when you were growing up, who was your biggest advocate? My biggest advocate and biggest fan growing up was my grandfather, my bampa. Um, he was an amazing man. He passed when I was eight, but he had an incredible impact on my life. He was a World War II veteran. He was a, a, he really had a quiet strength about him and he loved me unconditionally. I, I could do no wrong in this man's eyes. Um, and if he had ever had an idea, which he didn't, of what my father was doing to me and to his daughter, my mother, I have every belief and confidence that my dad would have ended up in jail or, well, let's just say he would have ended up in jail and leave it at that. He, so he knew nothing of the abuse. No. And, and that's the thing that, mm. that for your listeners to know that abuse and domestic violence thrives on secrecy. It, you know, mm. abusers say what happens in our house stays in our house. And that's how it thrives is is on the secrecy. Did you at any point in this in this and during the abuse, were you feeling like you you could ever escape? I mean, you, you tried to escape. It didn't. And so then and your mother knew about it. Your mother was being abused. She was being abused. Um, She did not know that I was being sexually abused. That was a secret within a secret um that she didn't know that piece of it but she was also being abused my dad told her if you ever try to leave me i'll kill you and she believed him i didn't feel there was any way of escape it, i mean i i thought about killing myself on on a few occasions i came close one time because it it felt like there was no way out i was i was trapped how old were you when I when I thought about killing myself mm-hmm. um, for the first time when I was in middle school, actually, and then again in high school and then again in my in my 20s. So now we're going to add, is, you know, one of the things that uh, I really, really appreciate about and, and your vulnerability and willing to be transparent is just a gift for all of us. Because I think what you've demonstrated to me and and hopefully to the listeners is just, we don't know when this is going on. We think we know what's going on. We think we know our neighbors. We think we know our friends, but we really sometimes don't know the extent of it. And one of the reasons that you and I connected was because the Rainbow Bowl is targeting an LGBTQ audience and our allies. It's not just LGBTQ, but our allies as well. Very important. And you identify as bisexual. I do, yes. And when did you, you know, I I have friends that always ask, and you'll appreciate this. They're like, Tim, when did you know you were gay? And I'm like, well, I don't know. When did you know you were straight? I mean, it wasn't, right? it wasn't like, oh, my God, November 12th, on 1973, <laughs> I was, no, I wish it didn't happen that way. I mean, I, I remember looking at the Sears Roebuck or the JCPenney catalogs and looking at the men's underwear ads and kind of thinking wow that's kind of cool you know but i didn't i didn't i don't know that it was a sexualized thing it was just like i don't know why i liked it Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. tell me your journey like 
when did you know? Yeah. So for me, I knew I was attracted to men before I knew I was attracted to women. Okay. That's just kind of the way it 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 evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe because of social conditioning, I don't know. But I first discovered I was attracted to to women uh, when I was in high school. And I started, it's funny you say catalogs, because I started to get an inkling when I was looking at catalogs of women's clothing and women's swimsuits. Isn't that like, what? Voila, see? I was like, what is happening here in my <laughs> mind and my heart? And, you know, I'm getting butterflies in my stomach. What's going on? Like the yeah. Highlights magazine in the dentist's office. What's wrong with this picture? You know, what? Right? <laughs> What? Um, yeah, and I was raised my my dad in particular was very conservative, fundamentalist, religiously, of very anti-gay. So I immediately felt guilty. I was like, oh my gosh, I should not be having these feelings. What's I'm I'm a bad person. What's wrong with me? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then it it just the feelings you know obviously didn't go away and no uh, right I know right what (laughs) (laughs) but coming out I always say the hardest person to come out to is myself and I think that's that's true sometimes for those of us in the LGBTQ community. When did you come out? To yourself. I mean, it's a, it's a sort of a strange question, yeah. but I mean, there is sort of a point of realization. I, I, I guess it's a, I mean, here you, you're an attorney, you have the master of the language. How would you describe it? When, what is the term? Is it realization, willingness? Yeah, I think it's a realization. I think for me, I guess everyone's definition is different, but for me, it means accepting that this is part of me and kind of integrating that into yourself as opposed to just keeping it in a little box hidden somewhere, you know? Um, I'd say in my late twenties, I, I, I came to accept and I, I actually did research online on um, like religion and LGBTQ because I had been taught this line that you couldn't be a person of faith and be, queer. So I actually, I read blogs, I read articles, and I started to realize that that was a lie. That was just simply not true. The kind of that conservative, fundamentalist, very cramped view of the world that that my dad raised me with was, there was a whole other world out there that I hadn't been taught about. So my, my, my eyes started to open yeah. Did you ever have the chance to tell anybody or did you did you have any connection with other women? Did was there ever a chance for you to ex- experience it or anything? I mean, I Well, it sounds I, like a kind of an unusual question because I mean, you're you're under this great oppression and abuse. Right. I you know, and I I don't like to talk about That's prior relationships. No, simply because the relationships I was able to have were very, very secretive and very much yep. on the DL, if yep. you know what I mean. Sure. So it's hard for me to talk about. But in terms of actually coming out to others, 
in a wider sense. Mm -hmm. That wasn't until after my dad, you know, had had passed away. I mean, it kind of went out in concentric circles from my my queer friends and and you know that circle, and then I started telling a few straight friends and. I finally came out to my mom and then oh. I came out on Facebook and now I'm I'm fully out of the closet. It's <laughs> part of my story. <laughs> out and proud, girl. Out and out proud. Out and proud. You there got it. Go. Two snaps <laughs> up. Did you? But I mean, again, 37, big time. It was a really big year for you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was it was the year that I was freed. But you know, I didn't wow. It was hard because I had trauma bonded with my dad. Think about like Stockholm syndrome. Mm -hmm. So I had this, I, I had this trauma bond where I had to go through a process of therapy to understand really how severely I had been abused and how far off from healthy it was. It, it, mm. it, it was a, trauma bonding is a very real thing when you bond with your abuser and and we do it as humans to protect ourselves it's an evolutionary yeah. protective mechanism sure. right survival yeah it's a, it becomes it's a survival instinct is probably taken and kicked in right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you, but you don't even know it is a second nature it's not something you manifested it, it just became who you were exactly Exactly. And um, I remember saying to a psychiatrist, I don't want to deal with all this crap and all these feelings. Can't I just put them in a box and put them at the back of my head and not deal with it? And he's like, no, it really it doesn't, doesn't work, work that, that way. way. <laughs> That's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, it's something I would ask for. Uh, or I'd say something like, you know, you read all these books, fix this. Yeah, right. right. And that's fix not me. the therapist way. No, no. They're like, <laughs> no, that's why. No, no, no. That's not how this works, Tim. Yeah. What about your mom? Like, okay, so go back to your mom for a minute. What's your relationship with your mom? How did she take it? And did you guys discuss each other's lives differently now after 37? I mean, this is post your father's death. Right, right. Um, my mom has been on her own journey. She and I are super close. She lives with us. It, it, it's oh. a very close relationship. So she went on her own journey of kind of understanding what had happened to her and um, working through her own trauma. And then there came a point where we were each healthy enough to kind of discuss it with each other. Um. I disclosed to her that I had been sexually abused maybe five years ago. And because she had not, that piece was that, like I said, that secret within a secret. Mm -hmm. I disclosed that to her. She was just bereft. She was just, you know, really uh -huh. just completely blown away. Um, and I came out to her kind of around the same time and she took it well she actually took it better than i thought she would okay i give her a lot of credit all right that's good at least right she didn't have a heart attack that's good she, right right yeah. i just i i i approached it so awkwardly i was like mom do you know what bisexual means and she said no i don't think i do 
And I said, well, it means I, I didn't get into gender identity as a spectrum. I kept it simple. I said, it means you can be attracted to men and women and be with a man or be with a woman. And mm -hmm. she said, okay. I said, well, that's what I am. I just like blurted it out. <laughs> <laughs> that was my coming out to my, to my poor so mom. So really smooth, very planned, very smooth. How it just, Very. Oh, yeah. yeah smooth, mm -hmm. articulate. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what happened? Like, what happened? She was just like, she really didn't know what to say. She was really quiet. And um, she said, I had no idea. I said, okay. And um, I said, do you still love me? And she said, you are my daughter. I will always love you. And that was what I needed to hear. Oh, and God. since then, she's become like super ally. Like, don't don't dare say anything bad about queer people around my mom or you'll you'll feel her wrath. She's she's my big defender now i think you're very lucky in an odd way <laughs> I don't mean it's to... true it's it's but a I mean, blessing yeah. i mean i think this is why and to be fair to our listeners is uh, you know when 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 you and i had this in preparation and, and talking about doing the podcast and you were telling me things my emotion just came forward because i just wanted to hug you and say it's you know you're amazing Aww. you're loved and and, you. and i just want you to know that so Thank I you. find that your your willingness to share this is so powerful. And, you know, I'm going to ask an odd question, but I, I, okay. it keeps going in my head is like, what, how did you feel about your dad's passing? It was, say? yeah, no, that's a good question, Tim. It was because of that trauma bonding. It was complicated. Initially, I was devastated. He was in the ICU. He started to code. I started screaming, Daddy, don't leave me. Daddy, don't leave me. The nurse had to, like, lead me out and bring me into the waiting room so I wasn't, you know, disturbing the whole ICU with my screams. And that's why I say it. It needed. I needed therapy to realize. Okay, this was not a healthy relationship that we had. That the, right. the you know. Um, so it was very complicated, and it took me a while to appreciate that by dying, he actually freed me. Mm -hmm. it, it took me a while to get to that point. That's how you could describe it today, though. It is I how I describe about. it today. Yeah. I yeah. And I still, to be real with you and your listeners, I have post-traumatic stress disorder. I have anxiety. I've dealt with depression. So the mental health effects are still there. I'm, yeah. I'm still dealing with that, but it's under control. Mm -hmm. I go to regular therapy. I'm well cared for, and I'm very fortunate of, of that. Hey, hey. Sorry for the interruption. Look, I know you're listening to the Rainbow Bowl podcast, and I'm really happy you're here. But if you have any questions or issues you'd like to have us discuss with the experts, please email them to us at tim.volk at tvolkco.com. We would love to hear from you. Which is, you know, knowing this now, I mean, Rebecca, you're 
the fact that you're so willing to own it, you know, and take that this is what it, what it is, and this is where I'm at, that I find your story to be even more compelling. And I think it's really where we know that in difficult situations, particularly we've had people talk about addiction, we've had people talk about um, an addiction forms in many ways, but sometimes just owning it and understanding it really helps everybody to learn from it. And so you were an estate. I want to kind of go back to the profession now because sure. you were, you're estate planning attorney, family law, mm-hmm. and obviously 17 years is a long time to do that. I'm a, you know, I'm assuming your clients probably loved you knowing the way you talked to me. I would love to have you as my attorney. So what prompted then the change? Well, how did you, because this is obviously post your father dying again, right? Right. Right. Well, part of it was my my father chose the law for me because he made all my choices. So that was that was dad's choice. I made the best of it. I, you know, I helped people. I um, it wasn't my first choice. I always wanted to be a teacher, an educator. So I got to a point in my healing where I was able to say the law isn't fulfilling me anymore the way that I need to be fulfilled as a professional. Okay. And I said, I'm going to be brave enough to make the change. And I was pulled towards education and then eventually to the role of a diversity, equity, and inclusion trainer, which is within the education umbrella. Mm -hmm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm educating people. I'm, living out what I, what I wanted to do all along. And so you just one day said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to leave the practice. I'm sure your, your friends at the law firm were like, you're going to do what? It it took a lot of thought. It wasn't like a snap decision. It kind of built and built and built until I couldn't ignore it anymore. And then I did some research and thinking on what I might do instead. And again, pull towards something educational. And I had this thought, hey, there used to be something called sensitivity training. I wonder if they still do that. And I got online and I Googled and the Mm -hmm. world of DEI opened up in front of me. And I said, this is it. This that's for this kid. That's what I want to do. Yep. That's a cool. So it really did evolve. It did. And and I'm assuming the, your legal background has been a great help. It is, Tim. It is. It's helpful in understanding, obviously, the the way the law intersects with LGBTQ rights. And my legal training gave me very good critical thinking skills, which is helpful in designing curriculum and training and working with people. And I always saw my job as an attorney in part to educate my clients. So I feel like I that was giving me experience in training people, educating people all those 17 All the times. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. educate families, families and family businesses constantly, right? I mean, exactly. it's a, with everything, uh, all five capitals and every dimension. So this, this concept of inclusion is really helpful for the families. Because sometimes I think if, if 
I think one of the things you said, and I, if I quote, I think I have it written down here. Cause I said, you know, how, how does this impact us? And you said greater awareness and education leads to greater acceptance and mutual respect. Yeah. Your timing couldn't be better. How do you yeah. think this is impacting people? How you, you've been training and doing this now for how many years? Uh, a little over two years. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's. I believe we're making an impact. I think a lot of people. I mean, you're always going to have some people that are that are just bigoted, right? I mean, there's some people out there that are like that. But I always like to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I think that most people want to do the right thing. They want to be respectful and inclusive, but they might not know how to go about it. So with oh. training and education, that's how people learn. And 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 we also in the training, I, I, I try to do what I call empathy building and okay. helping people put themselves in the shoes of an LGBTQ person. Um, I, you know, as a survivor, I feel like I wanted to make a difference that I lived, that I survived. I want to make an impact on the world in some way. And in this small way, I'm impacting my corner of the world in what I hope is a positive way, because it's a, yeah, it's it's a scary it's it's scary out there. There's there's definitely still a lot of uh, discrimination and a lot of misunderstanding, and people fear what they don't understand. So then, I guess language becomes an important, or terminology mm-hmm. becomes important in how we do this. Then, right? Because maybe that's yes. yes. Can you? I like the empathy side, the terminology I imagine and the words we use become very powerful. I think there's got to be some challenge there. How do you talk to people about that? Give us an example of the terminology or how you like to help people see that we're more together or or that there's more common than apart. Well, with the terminology, we we talk about, you know, what is sexual orientation? What is gender identity? The fact that everyone and how is gender identity different than sex assigned at birth? Mm-hmm. Um, the two can align or not align. Um, and, you know, we, we do talk about what you just said. You hit the nail on the head that the commonalities we're more as queer people and straight people we're more alike than we are different one of the exercises that i do and now i'm kind of giving away the punchline if if someone hears it and then has training but that's okay one of the exercises we do is 
to put yourself in the shoes of an LGBTQ person that's having to hide their identity or hide maybe that they're mm. married to, say, if I was married to a woman and, and I'm hiding that, okay? Right. Um, so we do this exercise where I pair people off and I say, tell each other what you did over the weekend, but you can't say who you did it with. You have to hide that. And the other person can ask you questions, but you have to hide. What's that? I tried to do that for so long. I mean, it's, I mean, that's because I was scared to death to say anything. I I was very fearful of telling people that my other half was a man, Mm -hmm. my, my, my boyfriend or partner. And then some people would refer to how's your friend? Oh, I hate that. How is your friend? Yeah. Um, friend. friend. Uh, and he's happened to be Italian. And, and so one of my aunts always says, how's your, how's your boyfriend, um, John Maserati or, or Ferrari? Or I was, oh, oh, my friend, God, Mr. Maserati. Oh. So I wish I love my car guy. So that would have been really cool. But um <laughs> So your your sexual orientation, gender identity, and then trying to put your put yourself in those shoes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what is it that you've learned in this, in doing this work? What have you learned? Like any ahas that you've had? Oh, that's that's a great question. Um, any aha moments? Um, or things I, that you didn't think? You know, like yeah. Oh one thing that 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 was an aha moment and i had to kind of check my own preconceptions is that um you can have baby boomers and older folks who are very sensitive to the lgbtq community and very open and very very much wanting to learn um, you know, there's kind of this stereotype that, oh, you know, baby boomers are, or, or even, even older generations are, are, you know, they just don't get it. And, and that, that hasn't been my experience. So that was mm-hmm. kind of an aha moment that made me check myself. I mean, they might not, my baby boomer participants or older participants might not know all the terminology that the kids know, but their heart is open and accepting and wanting to learn. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, wow, Rebecca, you know, check your own preconceptions. So that's wow. kind of an aha. Yeah. That's a big aha. Yeah. One yeah. of the, I was explaining. I don't know where we were at some event and I was trying to explain the different, some of the terminology and uh, non-binary. And then all of a sudden, uh, and we, we got into talking about bisexual mm-hmm. and, and then I was trying to explain the difference between non-binary and, and, you know, the, the fluidity. Cause one of the uh, older participants in the, in the room, she was a grandma. She said her grandchild is fluid. And I said, well, what do you think about that? She says, well, I mean, we used to call it bi, I guess, but I mean, I think she's got twice as many options as the rest of us. <laughs> didn't, didn't, 
not expect that to come out. Didn't expect that to come I out. I was preparing mouth. for the worst. And right. <laughs> so I didn't expect that because she did not look like that's what was going to come out. And I, <laughs> I was taken back like, oh, wow. So, and again, I think for the world at large, and you and I were talking about this, that if, if 10% of the population, and that's just a round number, has some sort of LGBTQ connection, mm-hmm. then <clears throat> all families by the third generation are likely to have an LGBTQ plus member there of the go. family. Mm-hmm. And we didn't just start with this last year. <laughs> it wasn't a right. 2021 pheno- or 22 phenomenon. This has been going on a while. Mm-hmm. So I find with some of the families when we talk about this inclusion that the they will talk about a favorite uncle or a favorite great aunt they knew about who was who was a spinster but she had a, a very close friend they lived together i think this has been going on a much longer period than we realize i just yes. think that we were again not willing to talk about it and i don't think we had the language to talk about it. i don't think we had the vernacular or what you were saying the terminology to really explain it in more detail until recently i I Uh, think that's right on the money Uh, yeah i think that's right on the money i mean um gay people bisexual people lesbians queer people transgender people have been around since the beginning of time since the beginning of history and uh, but you're right for a long time there wasn't the terminology to to talk about it or the or frankly the the willingness to talk about it gen z is really you know taking us all to school when it when it comes to acceptance and knowing the terminology and and being open and accepting um, and as a result, there's a higher percentage of Gen Zers that um, identify as somewhere in the LGBTQ community, not because there's like more of us in the Gen Z population, but they're more willing to be open and feel safe to be out. Got it. And I just hope that doesn't change. I, there, there's mm-hmm. so many things going on in this world. I just hope that doesn't change. I'll put it. So that I, way. I think there's some people who feel like they're immune to this, like they can just isolate themselves from that. Yeah. What would you say to those people if you were to talk directly to them? Mm, I would say that, you know, as part of the human family and given the statistics that we know, like, like you were saying of mm-hmm. how many queer people there are, someone in your orbit is LGBTQ, even if you don't know it or, or even if they're not out to you. So I think it, it kind of behooves folks to learn how to be more inclusive and be more respectful with, with friends and with family. If there's someone listening out there that's in an abusive relationship, Mm. who's a part of our, audience what would you want to say to them right now oh my goodness first of all you don't deserve that regardless of what your abuser tells you no one deserves to be abused 
physically, emotionally, verbally, sexually, in any way whatsoever. And I would encourage folks, We, you and I had, had talked about sharing some resources. Mm-hmm. I would encourage someone in that situation to try to get help in a way that's safe to do so. And sometimes you need to be a little bit cagey about that. My therapist calls it being the sly fox. You, you know, you want to be very careful that you're not giving your abuser an opening to, you know, whatever. Um, but there are resources out there. I don't know if that's something that can be shared when the podcast goes up. Yes, we but will share the, that. Okay, all, those, awesome. all those resources that you've given us, plus a few more that we keep sharing. I think that's perfect. If, if you're, you're so, so wonderful to share that with us. I love those. Um, Patrice, we, we will show that, right? Is there anything that you typically don't get to talk about in the work you're doing now that you'd want to say? I mean, is there any, anything that you don't normally get to say to people that you'd want to say kind of bluntly or directly? Oh yeah. Um, well, you know, something that I don't get to talk about a lot or hardly at all in the work I do, we've talked about, you've given me the opportunity to, which is my my abuse and trauma history and my overcoming of that and and speaking to, to others who might be experiencing intimate partner or familial abuse. So that's a gift to get to talk about that. You know, if I were to be really blunt, which I'm not in my trainings, I, I obviously keep it very, very professional. Oh, you yeah, know? you're very, very smooth. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the I blunt Rebecca, the, the blunt <laughs> Rebecca would say, be a human being, for God's sake. Just, you know, just we're all humans. Just treat each other with respect as fellow human beings living on this planet. And, you know, just be be a good human, please. You, I love this. You are amazing. I, oh. I think what's going to happen is we're going to get, uh, our listeners are going to send questions. We may even do a part two. Okay. I'm, I think I'm, it might I'm be game. fun to, to continue this conversation uh, because I have a feeling that there's, you know, there's a lot of, companies and families that are asking about the DEI stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't think, you know, so much of what we're talking about today is something that's taboo or swept under the rug. So, you know, your willingness to bring this forward and be transparent, I think has been a true gift. Patrice, do you have any thoughts? I do. I think for a part two, I think the two of you should explore the terminology, the words. A lot of people do not understand how to use the words. And how can you talk about something if you don't have the words to use? Mm -hmm. So that's what I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's a really good idea. Um, If people want to contact you, Rebecca, what would they, how would they contact you? Do you have an email that you like to use or what, what is it the best way to get a hold of you? Sure. The best way is probably to hop on my website and go to the contact us. Mm -hmm. So the website, if I can go ahead and give that is um, www.sanbornsolutionsllc.com. 
Okay. And um, that th- that will give my my email. It gives a little form you can fill out to email in if you want, and the phone number is there as well. And I'm always happy to do discovery calls with with um, organizations or people that that might be interested in working together. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, and then you can always reach out to me and I can connect you as well. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. And Tim, how can people reach you? Uh, you could email me at tim.volk at tvolkco.com. That's T-V-O-L-K-C-O.com. And or call me at 312-636-5855. Send us, if you have questions, you can you can go to our website or you can just email me if you have any questions or thoughts or you, ideas for us to continue any of this. But um, I'm so, it just warms my heart. And I just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being on and sharing with us. You're welcome. Thank you for giving me the opportunity, Tim. I am, I am grateful. Oh, well, we'll be doing some more collaboration and more to come. I hand it back to Patrice. How do you want to wrap it up? Part two, here we come. But I'm also going to say, (laughs) make sure you follow this podcast, share it with others, and thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to the Rainbow Bull Podcast. Visit our website at www.tvolco.com or give us a call at 312-636-5855. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of T. Volk and Company Consulting. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.